Okay, reading Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on, to the hill, on towards the hills of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards Negev. Moving on to uh, Genesis chapter 15 now. This is the Lord's covenant with Abram. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Elysia of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the Lord, the Lord of the Sorry, the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it, credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur and of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged them in halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in, the, in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and ill-treated there. But I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to be with Go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch, so with a, a smoking brazier and with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a, made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river. Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kizanites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gershites, and the Jebusites. 
let's just pray before I uh, hand back to Nick. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for the promises that you gave Abraham. I just, uh, I pray now for Nick as he, uh, he, he shares your word with us. I just pray that, uh, that his words can be your words, that you, you can speak directly to our hearts and we can, uh, we can hear straight from you, Lord. Amen. Thanks, Bill. We've been studying God's covenants um, because the Lord always relates to his people through a covenant. And the Lord relates to us through a covenant. And they all build to the covenant in Christ. So if we want to know how we are to relate to God today and we want a picture of that graphically drawn uh, in history, then we have to look back uh, to the Old Testament history. We need to understand it right. And the way to understand it is to look at God's covenants. So what have we learned so far? Well, we've learned that the Lord always relates to his people through a covenant. That's been really clear. Uh, these covenants are always sovereignly established by God. It's always God's initiative. Um, <clears throat> and it's always by grace. And all you can do when God offers you a covenant and offers you some grace is to accept it. And that's what God's people do. That's what uh, Noah does. That's what Abraham does. And we'll see as we go through. Um, so God always makes a covenant with his people. It is always by grace through faith. It always involves God's people uh, living in God's place under God's rule and under his blessing. So there's always uh, defines who God's people are. It always defines the place that he has for them. And he has a rule. Uh, which allows them to, to live under his blessing. Since Eden, the covenants require um, a sacrifice. They require blood um, to be shed. And since last time, since Noah, there was a sign, <coughs> excuse me, with the covenant. And last time uh, it was the rainbow. And there's always continuity between the covenants. They're always building towards something. They're always building to this new covenant in Christ. Um, so there's always a sense of continuity. There's always these features um, that we've learned about them. Um, but there are also things that change because some of the things built into the covenants are signposts that point towards Jesus, um, like the temple, um, like the tabernacle, which we haven't seen yet, like the sacrificial system, uh, which will become clearer later on. They're signposts pointing to Jesus. And of course, when you reach a destination, you don't need the signpost anymore. So the story so far, <coughs> excuse me, we've seen a covenant at creation. Um, God created, he created Adam and Eve, he put them in Eden, uh, he said don't eat from the tree. God's people, God's place, God's rule for blessing. But there was a rebellion. Um, they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they were cast out of the garden, the covenant became God's covenant with Adam and Eve, uh, their family after them, now outside of Eden. But there is this promise that the serpent crusher is coming. There is somebody who's going to come and undo the work of Satan. Again, there's rebellion. We read in the time of Noah, which is more than 1500 years later, that all the people um, had corrupted uh, all of their ways. So God makes a covenant with Noah. Uh, to start with, it's just the eight people. It's Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives um, in the ark. Um, and the act of faith of the rule is get on board. And then uh, after the flood, uh, 
Noah and his family are told to go and multiply again. So it's a covenant with all of humanity. They're told to fill the world. Their place in it all the world. But there is this new sign of the covenant of the rainbow. Um, God says, I will um, protect you. But the sad thing to say is that there is rebellion again. And this time, uh, the heart of the rebellion or the epitome of the rebellion is, is what happens um, in Genesis 11. Um, at the Tower of Babel, if you remember that story. Um, at that point, we read in Genesis 11, the whole world had one language, uh, common speech. Um, and as the people moved eastwards, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. And they said to each other, come on, let's make bricks, bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone or bitumen from water. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heaven so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face uh, of the whole earth. And it, it's interesting, isn't it? What do they want to do? They want to make a name for themselves. They want to have a, a name for themselves. They don't want to go by God's name. They want to go by their own name. Uh, they want a, a, a reputation um, that's, uh, that's bigger than God's. And so they resist God's plan. God's plan was that uh, humanity would move out, fill the world and subdue it. They say, no, um, let's stay here uh, and, and build a city and a tower. So they, they resist God's plan to fill the world and subdue it. Um, and they want to reach heaven, I think, by, its, by their own efforts. They say, let's, let's build a tower that reaches to, to, the, to the heavens. I think they've lost um, sight of grace. And it's interesting because there's nothing new there, is there, in, in, the, in the world of humankind. Um, there's nothing new when it comes uh, to sin and the forms that it takes. Do you recognize any of that in yourself? Trying to establish a name? rather than trying to exalt God's name in your own life? Are you trying to run your, your life by your own plan or are you trying to run it by God's plan? Are you trying to reach heaven by your own efforts or are you trying to reach it by grace? Is that you? Well, of course it is. Of course it is. Because it's in the DNA, as it were. It's what we've inherited uh, from Adam and Eve through Noah, um, through these people, uh, through Babel. Um, it's there. Uh, sin doesn't change, um, and all of us are sinners uh, saved by grace. And it's just worth noting because I, I guess you could, you might think, well, this Babel story it reads like a bit of a sort of a just so story. But I, I did a little bit of looking up um, and found an, an article in a magazine called Discover Magazine. It says, how did human language evolve? Scientists still don't know. So in this story, God scatters the people. Uh, he gives them all different languages um, and starts to send them out uh, across the world. And they stop building a city because they can't understand each other. It reads like a just so story, but why should we take it as that? Because science can't give you a better answer as to why there are different languages um, across the world. And so these people are scattered. They go uh, into their different places. And the covenant has been broken once more. Time passes. And out of these scattered people, 
the Lord re-establishes his covenant. The Lord suddenly chooses Abraham as he did Noah. Out of his sovereign grace, out of his initiative, not because of anything that Abraham has done, he just simply chooses him. And so at this point in time, at the beginning of Genesis 12, um, God's people are Abraham and his uh, father's household. God's place is a land I will show you, which later on Abraham will discover is, is Canaan, but I don't think he knows at this point in time. And God's rule for blessing is this simply go. Go. Get up, go, leave the place um, where you are and go to the place um, where I will show you. And God's blessing is, is massive. Um, I will make you into a, a great nation out of Abraham, uh, a married man, but with no children. God will make a, a great nation. Um, I will make your name great. So it's ironic, isn't it? So the people of, of Babel, they wanted to make a great name for themselves. But that's not the way to have a great name. The, the way to have a great name is to have it in the Lord. And the Lord then will make your name great if he chooses to do so. He will have a great partnership, I've called it. He says, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. What God says is that uh, I will bind myself uh, to you in, in such a way that, that um, I, I will be with you and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I will I identify you as my uh, as mine. And what matters to you will matter, matter to me. And what threatens you will threaten me. Things you need to fight, I will fight for you. And there'll be a great blessing um, to all God's people on earth. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's uh, God's re-establishment of his covenant. This time a covenant with Abraham. But time passes and nothing's happened, or at least um, Abraham and Sarah have not had any children. Um, this is after the Battle of the Nine Armies. You can go and look that up, um, followed by Abraham's um, defeat of, of four of them. This is after Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord comes to Abraham in his vision and, and restates uh, his covenant. I am your shield, as Kenny told us and your very great reward. And Abraham knows that in this promise, um, there is a promise of children and, and time is coming out. And so in Genesis 15, he says, that's all very well, Lord. You say you're my shield and my very great reward, but what about the children? Time is running out. What can you give me um, since I don't have any children? This guy, Eliezer, who's a guy from my household, he's going he's gonna to inherit everything. And the Lord asks him um, to look to the stars and says, um, so will your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord and God credits it to him as righteousness. And so the Lord kind of reiterates the second part uh, of the promise. He says, I, I brought you out of Ur to give you this land. And Abraham says, but how am I going to know? You haven't given me any children. How am I going to know I'm going to have children? You haven't uh, given me this land. How do I know you're going to give me uh, this land? And the Lord does an amazing thing. 
at the heart of our story today, the Lord tells him uh, to take uh, three animals uh, and two birds and to cut the animals in half and, and put them on the ground, a heifer, a goat, uh, and a ram. Cut them in half and put them on the ground. Well, actually, he doesn't tell him that. He just tells him to bring the three animals. A Abraham seems to know um, what to do with these animals. Um, if you look in Jeremiah 34, you can see um, Zedekiah making a, a covenant this way um, by cutting animals in half and putting them on the ground. And what happens as the day goes on, um, at the end of the day, after um, Abram's done some uh, clearing off with the vultures that want to come and, and settle down, as the sun sets, a thick and dreadful darkness comes over him and, and the Lord speaks. He says, I know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, but I will punish that nation and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You will go to your ancestors in peace, the good old age, and in the fourth generation your descendants will come back here. In other words, it will take time to fully possess the land. I'm giving the Amorites time to repent, is what the Lord says. That's why there's a delay. But then when the sun has set, a smoking brazier and a flaming torch pass between these cut pieces of the animals. It's the Lord himself. Think later on. With Moses, he's going to be a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Here he is, a, a smoking fire, a, a flaming torch. This is the Lord himself. And in Abraham's presence, he comes down and he walks between the, the pieces, the cut pieces of the animals. And the meaning is clear. As I say, you go to Jeremiah 34 and, and see what happens there. The meaning is clear. If I don't keep these promises, you can cut me in half. This was a standard way of making a covenant. Uh, and you solemnized it. You made it binding. You, you, you brought a threat upon yourself by cutting the animals and walking between them. It was a way of saying, if I break this covenant, then you can break me. You can tear me in half like these animals. And the amazing thing, what happens here? It's not Abraham who walks between the pieces. It is the Lord. And he says, I will pay the price. If this covenant fails, if this covenant falls, this covenant breaks, you can cut me in half. What a, what a remarkable thing. And Abraham, Abraham believes and the Lord credits it to him to righteousness. So I don't know whether you can, uh, you can imagine that. It's like the Lord kind of um, appears to you and says, um, I, I, I bind myself to you. I promise um, to be your, uh, your shield, your, your reward, your, your protector. And you say, how will I know that? And it's almost like the Lord hands you a loaded shotgun uh, and says, if I fail, you can shoot me. If, if I fail, you can turn it on me. Or it's a bit like a business partner, partner who, who promises to invest in your business and make it flourish. And you say, what happens if it doesn't flourish? And he says, well, here's my card, here's my PIN number. 
if it doesn't happen, charge it to me. So it didn't move with a bow uh, hanging in the clouds. The Lord says to Noah, if I break this covenant, you can shoot me. I will be pierced. And the, Abraham believed the Lord. And it was credited to him as righteousness. So the important bits to remember about this covenant are Genesis 12. Uh, it's, it's instigated. Genesis 15, uh, we have the covenant, covenant ceremony. And in Genesis 17, we have the responsibilities on, on Abraham. We have his uh, the covenant regulations and um, the covenant sign. And I just want to read to you a little bit of uh, uh, Genesis 17. So when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I'll make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make uh, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be your God. And then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep, every male among you must be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring, whether born in your household or, born or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. And any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken the covenant. So just a couple of points, really. Um, get back to my PowerPoint. God says to Abraham, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully in faith and be uh, blameless. The Lord has promised his protection, promised to be his shield, promised to be a blessing, he's promised to be his reward. It, it's a pact, it's a covenant. The nearest thing perhaps we've got is the covenant we make with the armed forces, albeit it's not a, a, a written down covenant, is it? But they talked about, we talk about that covenant with the armed forces. They say, we'll look after you. We'll go to war for you. We will lay down our lives for you. And we say, we will look after you and your family in, in perpetuity. So the Lord has, has promised his protection and he's promised his uh, blessing. And I just think this word blessing has become a kind of non-word. Say, so bless you. May things go vaguely, vaguely well. May, may it be nice for you. But blessing 
surely it's more concrete than that. It's not just a spiritual thing. When we pray that somebody be blessed, yes, we want them to know God really well. We want them to be blessed in their spiritual life. We want their uh, readings to speak to them every day. We want their uh, prayers to be answered. But blessing means that things go well for you. Health, finances, relationships, um, family. I think we're so scared of the, of the health and wealth gospel that, we, that we're scared to say, if you walk before God faithfully uh, and blamelessly, he will bless you. Things will uh, go well for you. Blessings can't be detached from the real world. It can't just be uh, a, a spiritual thing. And I kind of think of my brother-in-law, as I've kind of said before, I can't think of many people um, for whom I kind of see this happening in a kind of faithful way. He walks faithfully before the Lord. As far as I'm aware, he walks blamelessly before the Lord. Spent a long time of his life living by faith, not earning an income. And he prays prayers like when his son, elder son went to university. I, I pray that he won't have to end up in debt. And what happened is somebody has stood up and, and paid Joel's course fees. That's a blessing. That's a blessing from the Lord for people who walk before him um, faithfully and, and blamelessly. And I think we kind of fall into either being so fearful that we don't ask about the health and wealth or, or we ask inappropriately. And there is a place in the middle uh, for walking faithfully and blamelessly before the Lord and him blessing you, making things go well. And maybe you say, well, I'm, I'm not. It's not happening for me. It, it, it's. It's not going well in those things. I, I, I don't see a, a blessing. Well, the Lord has said, I will be your God. And we have said, we will be your people. And the implication of that is we will walk blamelessly before God. And before him it means literally um, before his face. Before his face. So let's be clear about this. You've been drawn into a relationship with God, which is by grace through faith. You couldn't have entered into this relationship with, without him calling you, and without him paying the price due, without that blood sacrifice, which is Christ upon the cross. You could not enter into that relationship. But now the blessings of that friendship are only received if you are in the process of walking as a friend with a friend. If you are walking in this covenant relationship, he says, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. But if you don't walk as a friend with a friend, then the blessings of the relationship don't come to you. And that doesn't undermine justification by grace uh, through faith. It's just the reality of walking uh, before the Lord's face and although it just says before me in the english translation in the in original hebrew it's walk before my face are you walking before the face of the lord or is any thought of godliness so godliness and holiness it's so so uncool i mean it has been i guess it always is um but in the culture around us uh to, to be a little bit wicked is a, is a good thing. Not in the Christian life. Called to be blameless before the Lord. Does it seem like a chore? I think, again, because we get the essence of sin wrong, we think we're aiming for some uh, arbitrary standard of, of goodness and badness. We're not. You're asked to walk before 
the face of the Lord. Holiness is always relational. It means walking in such a way that nothing gets between you and the Lord's face. And when you stand before the Lord's face, you are changed, you are, you are blessed with godliness, you change from glory into glory. And when you walk before the Lord's face, he blesses you. But if something gets in, anything gets in between you and, and the Lord's face, it could be those Babel things, you want to make a name for yourself. You want your own plan. You want salvation by works. Then you lose that sense of walking before the Lord's face and knowing his, his smile upon your life. That's your first covenant responsibility. Then we go on to the covenant sign. Uh, the covenant um, for Abraham came with a sign. It was circumcision. Might seem a strange choice. Marks out Abraham's family. Um, you notice that it was included foreigners. Uh, this was never a purely uh, racial thing. Uh, it was about being in a faithful relationship with God. It's open um, to other races. Comes clear of what circumcision is in the, in the New Testament. Uh, Paul says in Romans, a person's not a Jew who is only one outwardly. He's just been circumcised. Nor is circumcision merely outward. And physical now a person is a jew if they want inwardly and circumcision is circumcision of the heart um, by the spirit not by the written code <clears throat> so the circumcision the outward circumcision it is a sign of what a real relationship with god consists of and that is a circumcision of the heart by the spirit it is a cleansing and a consecrating uh, of the heart done by the holy spirit and uh, colossians 2 makes it uh, even more clear it says, in him, in Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Excuse me. <coughs> when you trusted Christ, you were circumcised by the spirit. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. So you were circumcised by Jesus. That circumcision is a putting off of the old flesh, the old person. It's a renewal of the heart. It's a regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Happens when you trust Christ. And Paul goes on, this is Colossians 2, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God. So it's clear that circumcision is actually a work uh, of the Spirit in the heart. It's Jesus by his Spirit. Uh, consecrating your heart making you holier and you put off the old flesh happens when you trust christ and the new sign is baptism that sign of being buried and raised with christ so briefly let's just pick up a few <clears throat> lessons for us today you were and are a sinner like the tower builders those standard sins um, making a name for yourself, following your own plan, earning your own salvation. They, they all, they're all still there. <laughs> and if they're there, can I simply say, stop it, please? Stop it. You are saved by grace um, through faith. Um, like Abraham, we're going to see through this story, God just choosing people. 
And he chooses them by his sovereign choice, not because of anything they've done. Abraham and uh, Noah, that is God's uh, prerogative to choose who he will save. Call it his election. It's nothing you can do about it. Accept it. Yes, we're wrestling it through. And I know a number of you are wrestling with it and fighting this one through. But it's there again and again in the Old Testament story. Just uh, learn to love it. We come to learn to love it. In this story, um, God says to Abraham, go. Go to this place that I will show you. You haven't seen the destination yet, but you know uh, the direction of travel. Go. And Jesus says, come uh, with me. Um, as he was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon uh, called Peter and Andrew, who were casting a net into the lake. And he said, come, follow me, and I will send you to fish uh, for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. It's time to get up and, and go with Jesus. It is time to walk with him. It is time to walk before the Lord's face, not just make periodic visits on a Sunday. It's time to go wherever he calls. What is he saying to you? Well, at the very least, he's saying, come, follow me and I will make you fishes of people. You have been circumcised with Christ. A work has gone on in your heart um, by, the, by the spirit. Jesus has worked in you. Uh, if, if you don't know that, if you're not sure of that, then you need to do something about that. You need to step up um, and ask the Lord to, to renew your heart, make your heart new um, by his spirit. You need to come to him and say, um, I, I recognize that if I want to have this covenant relationship with you, then blood has to be shed and I have to take uh, the blood of Christ shed on the cross to be my own. Can you do that today? Do, the, do that now. We'll pray in a second. Say, Jesus, I want that sacrifice that you made on the cross um, to be for me today. And I want you to circumcise my heart by your spirit and make it new. But if that's already happened to you and you say, I don't need to pray that it's already happened, then I then get baptized because that is the sign. That is a sign that you come to Christ. If you're a believer and you've not been baptized, why? Do something about it. And then commit today to walk before the Lord's face. Walk before the Lord's face. Scary, isn't it? Walk faithfully and blamelessly before the Lord. Some times it's hard enough to imagine that the Lord might look upon us and, and, uh, and smile. But he essentially looks upon you as Christ, if you're a believer today, and he looks on you as Christ did at his baptism. He says, this is my son. This is my daughter with whom I'm well pleased. Why would you not want to walk before the Lord's face and know his smile? It's time to order your walk. It's time to get your Christian life on its feet and put it into practice. Let me read you a couple of verses from James 1. What, what practically are you going to do this year? What does your Christian life look like in, in practice? What does it do beyond your relationship with the Lord, your personal private relationship with the Lord? That's one thing. But it's so much more than that, isn't it? What are you going to do? Finish with these verses from James 1. Those who consider themselves religious 
and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues to see themselves and their religious First thing to do is get your speech under control. Once you get your speech under control, everything else will come under the control. Religion that God our Father accepts, James says, as pure and faultless, blameless is this, to look after orphans and widows in distress. Who can you look after? Who will we be as a church being called uh, uh, to look after? And then to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. How is the world getting into your life and polluting your, your thoughts? And if it pollutes your thoughts, pollutes your actions, probably through the TV, maybe through your friends. But you're a sinner saved by grace. You're called by Jesus to get up and go, to walk with him. You're being circumcised by Christ. So get baptised. Ask the Lord to renew the work of his spirit in your heart. And let's get to our feet, uh, our faith uh, into practice. Let me pray. Father God, what a challenge it is to be in a covenant relationship with you. Lord, you have, you have stepped down in the person of your son into history. And he has died a sacrificial death and he has risen again. And he offers by his spirit to do the same for us, for our hearts, that we may be counted dead to our old person, alive, uh, alive again in Christ and a whole new person. Oh, Lord, what an offer. And yet we, we confess so often the old person has sway. We ask you, please renew the work of your spirit in our hearts today. Work more powerfully in this coming week, month, year than you have done in the past that we might be changed in this covenant relationship by grace we want to walk before your face we don't want to walk in a world where it seems you're not there don't want to walk in a world as if you're silenced we want to know your face uh, know your smile know your love hear you speaking through your word sense your presence uh, nudging us left and right this is the way uh, walk in it please lord help us take up our covenant responsibilities we ask it in your son's precious name amen